You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Thanks to Tom and Tim for um, what they said about solace, and do ask you to pray for that. Maybe someone here might be interested in being our first intern. Um, We're looking at an internship program for next year, and if you're interested, do let us uh, know. Uh, Also, uh, please do remember there's always a lot going on. Uh, Next week, I'll be up in Bankery doing an outreach event there in a cafe, and then about three weeks later, we're uh, up in Ross Keene at their free church at their, their new capstone Uh, center doing some training in evangelism and again also doing an an outreach event. And you get a lot of stuff on the website and flea bites and lots of different things. So uh, any constructive criticism you have would be very helpful. Uh, Izzy has asked me to uh, emphasize the Easter Holiday Club. She was really delighted at the response this morning and uh, we had lots of women respond. Uh, We need a man to respond to work uh, with the kids in the holiday club uh, during the first week of Easter. And if you're man enough, talk to me uh, at the end. And speaking of Easter, we uh, will be doing uh, a week of uh, short uh, evening meetings, a couple of singings, prayer, a short sermon from different uh, preachers in the city. And it's just an opportunity for uh, a time of reflection during Easter and encouraging others to come along to that as well. There'll also be an open day on Saturday and then Easter services on Easter Sunday, which is April the 20th. It's kind of late this year. Right. Uh, Let's turn to God's Word to Colossians. Uh, Ramon, if you can go on. I think you've... I don't have the... So, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now normally what we do here is, and for those of you who've come uh, Sunday evening, Sinclair has been preaching through Genesis, and I'm sorry he's not here, he's at Ligonier Conference in the United States, but I uh, normally take a text from Scripture, we preach through a book of the Bible, but a few Sundays this year, I've taken the evening an opportunity to look at some of the questions that people have about Christianity. And this is a really important one, and I want you to be really patient with me. I know some of you are going to hate this. Well, just live with it. It's only one Sunday, and we'll be back to normal next Sunday. Um, Because it's going to sound a little bit like a lecture, and it's not. But it's a very, very, very important question. And I'll tell you how important it is. 
It's important enough that a young man who used to come to the church here then got more and more involved in looking at science and was told that science and Christianity were opposed, believed that when forced to choose between science and Christianity, he chose science because science was fact. Christianity he didn't know. And an awful lot of our young people are being presented with that. Often, a lot of the time, you will get this. You get people say, well, I believe in science. You've got faith. Faith is blind. So I want to look at that and deal with the objections to that. Now, the first thing to say is, of course, the Bible is not a science textbook. When It's very interesting, and I love what Sinclair is doing, teaching Genesis 1 to 3. I find it fascinating that he hasn't got into any of the scientific questions that people raise. And I've learned a lot from how he's treated uh, this and looked at it. And, of course, it impacts how we view some of the questions of origins and so on. But it's just the Word of God coming to us. It's not a scientific textbook. I was in a debate recently where a man said to me, we know the Bible is not true. And I said, how do you know that? He said, because Jesus got the properties of salt wrong. Well, I started laughing. I thought that was really funny. And for those of you who know your Bibles, that's when Jesus said, if the salt loses its savor. And this guy says, salt can't lose its savor. So therefore, Jesus didn't know about salt. And if he was the son of God, surely he would have known that. Now, you can actually have a technical argument about salt losing its savor. But I just said, you're kidding me. You think Jesus was giving a chemistry lesson? Of course not. And an awful lot of things, one of the problems people have with faith and and science or Christianity and science is they they treat the Bible like a scientific textbook. I didn't hear it this morning, but I heard the headline, a program on Radio 4 was looking at um, the Malaysian jet that's gone missing. And they said, in an age when science is a religion, how can this happen? Fascinating, isn't it? Science is a religion. So, it's what I'm going to do and, and spend half of the time of this and trying to simply say what science is. And I'm sorry for that, because some of you will be scientists and you go, duh, we know all this. And others of you will say, oh, this is really, really boring. But do you know actually what science is? Science involves, obviously, people will say science involves the facts. Faith is belief in spite of or contrary to the facts. Well, I want to, by the way, encourage Christians in our own congregation who are involved in science. There are people who are involved in the Wellcome Trust building. There are people who are involved in science research projects. There are people who teach uh, science. Um, Thanos teaches physics, correct? Physics are people who um, are, I hope, those of you who are medics, I hope you're into science because I really, really want you to be very good at your science if we're going to be treated by you. So we ask, simply, what is science? Now, we as human beings were made in the image of God, and we ask questions. And we've always wanted to examine the world around us. About the 17th century, what we know as the scientific method began to emerge. For those of you who are into history, the Renaissance, the Protestant Reformation... The industrialization of society, increased urbanization, improved technology resulted in this scientific revolution. There were new scientific measurement, uh, instruments such as the telescope. And then one of the greatest of all, the barometer. 
Imagine living in a world where a lot of the things that we have have developed through science. The barometer is important because it measured something that human beings couldn't measure without using an instrument. Now, the key question for us as we look at all of this is to say, how do we know what we know? How do you know the earth is not flat? How do we know lots and lots of different things? Well, a man called Francis Bacon, and this is very important because it's the way that vast majority of our culture thinks. Francis Bacon taught that knowledge was to be based on data. You had information, and that's how you knew things. It's something that's called empiricism. Our senses observe things, and we experiment with these things. We observe a phenomena, we take a stab at a hypothesis. So Isaac Newton's sitting there, and he's sitting under the tree, minding his own business, and an apple falls and hits him on the head. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. Why did the apple fall? And why, when it came off, didn't it go up the way? What caused it to come down? Would an apple ever go up or sideways? No, it'll always come down. Why will it always come down? And so uh, what, science, what empirical science does is you observe something, you take a stab at a hypothesis, at a, a theory of why it works, you test it, you try and falsify it, you keep going. So the idea was that facts come first and then theories come from the facts. Two things that are really important there. The mathematization of nature. Natural events and phenomena can be accurately described using mathematical equations. Now those of you who are really clever will be able to do maths. Um, I, I don't understand this because neither her mother or, nor her father are, have this ability, but my uh, youngest daughter is very good at maths, uh, and I'm quite happy uh, to boast about that. But maths, I don't get maths. I haven't used maths since I left school. But I'm told that maths is the absolute foundation of everything, and that if you don't know maths, you really are ignorant, and if you know maths, you know everything. Um, that was Professor John Lennox, who's professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford, so maybe he was slightly biased. But it is very important that we can... It's amazing, actually, from a Christian perspective, that God has placed order in the universe, that it's not chaos. Tied in with that is the mechanization of nature. There's always a mechanism. There's a way that things work, and we can observe it, and we can look at it. So... We then think of science as a, as a method. We, to do science, you observe things, um, maybe in a lab, and, well, not all science is like that. Some, you can be field-based. It could take many years. You take the data, you analyze it. You, if you're going to look into the past, you set up historical models, like in geology or cosmology, to work out how all that is. Now, you can see straight away there comes a problem when someone says to you, go on then, prove God. Because when someone says that, quite what they usually mean is, prove God like you would prove a scientific theory. But can you put God in a test tube? No, of course not. It's a ridiculous demand. But that's what people say. They say, prove it. Some science is uh, highly uh, questionable in some things. I'll come on to that in a moment. But it's a method. Science is a method of finding out things. Testing ideas against real data. What are the limits? 
Well, how many times do you need to do an experiment before you decide it's true? There's a very famous example. There used to be a saying in Old English about white as a swan. Because all the swans that anyone had ever seen was white. Thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and millions of times, people had observed swans, swans were white. Until we went to Australia and we discovered some black swans. And so that changed it. How often do you need to do an experiment? Also, you can't be neutral in science. It doesn't start with simple observation. Sometimes we see or hear what we expect to see or hear. Again, those of you who are medics, and I'm treading, I realize, on very dangerous ground here, but when you do dissection, uh, I've been asked to do the anatomy funeral, which is just the most bizarre thing uh, in the university where all the bodies that have been dissected. And I've been in the new dissection center uh, at the university, and all, I know all the black, macabre humor that some of you medics get up to. But when you're doing dissection, it can be really confusing unless you know what you're expected to be looking for. Some observations require a great deal of education before you can make them. When I was in Nyman's Hospital and seriously ill, much as I love the medical students here, I wouldn't have wanted any of you cutting me up. I wouldn't want you going with a scalpel, coming up and saying, oh, that's interesting, I don't know, what's that? I don't know what that is, let's have a look, let's, exp- let's find out a bit more. I was extremely glad that I had Mr. Shimmy, who had 30 years of experience and knew exactly what to look for and how to deal with it. So, science, it does require education. Also, stick with this, observation does not come before the theory. You, 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 you get a theory and then you make observations as well. Kirsten Burkett, who's a wonderful Australian writer, says this, you'll never get a scientific paper which says, I put the thin stick with the numbers on it in a liquid which had bubbles in it and the red stuff in the stick reached up to the 97. The scientific way of saying that is the water's temperature was 97 degrees centigrade. But you have to know what a thermometer is, what centigrade is, and all these things. Now here is, that's how we do science, but here's the interesting thing. Out in the street, most people think science brings certainty, but good science doesn't. Good science always means we hold our theories in doubt. They may explain the world as we see it and know it, but we can never be absolutely sure. Science lacks certainty in discovering knowledge. You need also to remember that scientific theories have often changed. There's a kind of myth that goes around that says the earth, the church believed that the world was flat. The church never believed that and never taught that. It was actually a scientific theory at the time for some people. Because they would see ships going off and say, well, they must fall off the edge of the earth. Sometimes there are scientific theories and they they turn out not to be right. If you were practicing medicine a couple of hundred years ago, one of the first things you would do anywhere you went was you'd go into someone's room if they were ill and you would start taking blood. And I don't mean taking blood and and checking it. What you'd do is you'd do a bloodletting. You'd just take lots of the blood out because it was considered that that's where the disease was coming from. We now know that's not the case. But that's the great thing about science. And for me, that's one of the wonderful things about science is that the scientific discoveries are often open to change. 
We used to say, scientists all said, the fastest thing that you can have is the speed of light. Until fairly recently, and it's still a little bit controversial, the discovery of neutrinos. If that's true, neutrinos are faster than the speed of light, then that will change all of physics. So that's kind of some background in terms of what science is and how science works. But here's another aspect of it in relation to to Christianity. Not just Christianity, but also all the theistic worldviews. Islam, Judaism, all the monotheistic worldviews. When people say Christianity and science are opposed, you need to grasp and to understand this, that science actually cannot take place until you believe in God. Now, let me explain why I say that. Because the vast majority of cultures in this world, ancient cultures, and even many cultures today, believed that the universe was chaos. There were demons in the water. There were angels in the sky. It was, everything was chaos. But the Jews, Genesis, what Sinclair is looking at, Genesis 1 to 3 said there's one God and he created everything out of chaos. The world was chaos, the spirit. He created everything out of that chaos. And therefore, the universe is ordered. You can't have science unless you believe in an ordered universe. And it's very, very difficult to conceive of an ordered universe without God. Now, I realize that's a huge statement, but, and I haven't time to go into it. But even someone like Richard Dawkins will recognize that modern science developed out of Christianity and Islam and Judaism. So, that's where I think some aspects of science are. Just one or two other things. Um, Science varies as a body of knowledge. It's always being added to and subtracted to. There are general laws such as thermodynamics, organisms made of cells, chemical substance made of atoms. No one's really going to disprove those things. They've been so well proven that you wouldn't really question them. There are scientific theories that have more doubt. By the way, can I just say something here to Christians who will say, ah, the theory of evolution is just a theory. Everything in science is a theory. Gravity is a theory. When you just say it's a theory, you're implying that somehow we're using theory like we would use theory as a, I'm a detective and I've got a theory about this murder. Some of us um, went to see the Agatha Christie play in, uh, in, down in, in the rep last night and, and then there were none. And if you've ever read the book, which is much better than the play, and book's brilliant, you, you're reading through the book, you say, well, I've got a theory that it was that person. I've got a theory that... And you, basically, you mean guesswork. But when scientists use the term theory, they don't mean guesswork. They mean the best explanation we have at this moment for the facts that we observe. So there are some theories which are pretty well concrete, gravity and, and so on. There are others with more doubts, like black holes... That idea has a lot of supporting evidence, but some people would say it's open to revision. And then there are things that are really highly speculative and unconfirmed. And those are things like Stephen Hawkins has a theory, the unbounded universe theory, or Richard Dawkins will cite the multiverse theory. 
And because they're scientists and they speak with an authority, people go, oh, well, that must be true. But we have to learn to question. Sometimes as Christians, we get ridiculed because we believe in a God who raised his son from the dead. They say people don't rise from the dead. And we go, yeah, that's the point. Of course people don't rise from the dead. If the Bible said, believe in Jesus as the Son of God because he was sick and got better, so what? But rising from the dead, is, is, people don't rise from the dead. And they didn't believe that back then either. You look through the book of Acts and you'll find uh, when Paul's speaking and he announces, for example, in Acts 17, he starts speaking about Jesus being raised from the dead. People said, no, no, we're not listening to this rubbish. Some believed, but the majority said, we're out. Christians get mocked. I get mocked for saying we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And yet there are people who say, well, we only believe facts. Like Richard Dawkins is one of them. My favorite part of the God delusion when he, is when he mocks Christians for believing that Jesus rose from the dead. And then he says he believes in the multiverse theory or allows for it probability in which the multiverse theory is there's not just one universe but there are as many universes as there are possibilities of things happening. Now, this takes a wee bit getting your head round. It's kind of saying that somewhere in a universe, somewhere, anything can be happening. So somewhere in a universe, somewhere, Scotland are actually winning a rugby match. Okay, that's really unbelievable. Uh, somewhere in a universe, somewhere, this is my favorite one, Richard Dawkins is Pope. That's what multiverse theory actually says. Dawkins himself says, in one of these universes you are already dead and in another you have a green moustache. Now imagine that. There's a scientist saying to believe that God rose, an almighty God, could rise, raise his son from the dead is ridiculous, but uh, young lady, you exist in a universe with a green moustache. That's okay. No, it's not okay. That's absolutely ludicrous. One of the problems here is not with science as how we do things, but science as a philosophy. And that's why I read um, Colossians. Don't let anyone take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. What do we mean by science as a philosophy? We mean it's a philosophy that's called naturalism or scientific materialism. And it's a belief that only natural, as opposed to supernatural or spiritual, laws and forces work in the world. It's linked with materialism and atheism. People believe that's just it. Every feeling that you have, every idea that you have, every emotion that you experience, everything that occurs, it's, it's just chemicals. And if you really believe that, um, Tom did speak about the blob. That's a famous quote that comes from Bertrand Russell. And he said this, I mean, how despairing is this? You are just a blob of carbon floating from one meaningless existence to another. That's ultimately all you are. And at one point in his life, he said, I look at the universe and I see that it's all going to collapse. It's all going to disappear. Nothing is going to have any value. And it makes me despair. But that's what I believe. Now, it's a very bleak view. And it's why in this world, you, you contrast that with what Sinclair has been teaching us from Genesis 1 to 3 about the wonder of what God has done in creation and what he has done with human beings. And it really is quite, 
quite different, quite extraordinary. Scientism, which is the philosophy, is not science. When someone says, I believe in science, they're not saying, I believe in the scientific method or empirical evidence or so on. They're actually saying, I believe that all that there is is material things. Francis Bacon and others thought differently. The uh, Royal Society of Science in the United Kingdom down in London, virtually every single one of their members was a Puritan. Believed absolutely in God and his word. And Bacon believed that science was just observing the book that God has made. It's what's called the theory of two books. God reveals himself in two books. One is the creation. The other is scripture. Because the creation can tell us about the power and glory of God. But it doesn't tell us about the love of God. It doesn't tell us about Jesus coming and dying for our sins. As Christians, we believe that science is fantastic for examining natural causes. But we don't believe that natural causes are all that exists. There are questions that science cannot answer, but which are very important to it. For example, why is there a mechanism at all? Why is there life at all? The further we investigate, the more we see purpose in the universe. And science is not really about purpose. It tells us what, but not why. John Lennox illustrates it this way. You go into someone's room, and there's a kettle, and it's boiling. As a scientist, you can say, this is why the kettle boils. These are the properties of electricity. These are the properties of water. And you can say, this is, or how, the kettle is boiling. But why was the kettle on in the first place? Science can't tell you it's because you wanted to make your granny a cup of tea. That's history, that's humanity, and so on. The other problem with people who are just say, I believe in science, is this. Science is amoral. Not immoral, but amoral. Moral values are not part of science. Values and standards are needed, but what are they? What can we do with, what should we do with what we can do? So, for example, you split the atom. What's it used for? First thing humanity used it for was to kill lots of people. Was that right or wrong scientifically? Science has no answer to that. Truth, morality, beauty, how do you live with suffering? Why is there suffering at all? There is, there is nothing in science that will tell you that. Because science is just a method of finding out things, testing ideas against real data. I think that um, when we recognize that, when we recognize those limits, sorry, I should have gone on with that, that that's this whole idea of what's good or what's bad. Josef Mengele was a scientist. He was a scientist in the Nazi death camps. He experimented on twins, gave them different injections. Mengele's observations and understandings were scientifically correct. Was he right in what he did? No, he wasn't. Supposing you as a scientist could invent a virus that could wipe out the whole human race, would that be a right or a good thing to do? Scientifically, it would be very, very interesting. So there are very 
strong limits in science. And I feel really sorry for any human being who says my faith is in science because it's so, so limited. Now, bring this in to Christianity. What is Christianity? And this is what so many people misunderstand. On the one hand, people say science gives us everything. I've heard people say to me, they say things like, well, science gives us the toaster. What is religious given? What is religion given us? Wars. To which the correct response is to say, well, science gives us a lot of the weapons that kill people. You know, um, the man Kalashnikov, who died recently, very, very interesting, his obituaries, the Russian guy, after the Second World War, he, well, he invented the Kalashnikov. And he realized that what he had done was invented a weapon which was used to kill more people than anything else. And he was so distraught by that, he went and sought forgiveness. He became very involved in, in the Russian Orthodox Church. It's just fascinating reading that. But most people in our culture will say, faith is believing something you know isn't true. I'm just, you know, I've got to have faith. I believe that Dundee are going to win the European Cup, for example. I, 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 believe, I, I, it's, I believe against all the evidence. And they think Christianity is like that. They think we as Christians are people who say we can't face up to facts, we can't face up to science, we, we just want to bury our heads, we want to believe in a sky fairy, we want to believe in, in, in um, myths and so on. We don't have any evidence. It's not what the Bible says. John 20 verse 31, John says, Jesus did many other miracles, so many, that if all of them were written down, there wouldn't be enough room in the world. But these are written that you may believe. These are written that you may believe. Luke's gospel begins, most excellent Theophilus, a real person. I've carefully investigated all the things that have been reported that have happened amongst us recently. And then he writes them down. He's saying, no, 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 no. We as Christians, our faith is not based on blind faith, but it's faith because we believe in Jesus, we've got enough evidence for Jesus and what he has done, and as we look at the world and observe it, we have these two books, the book of nature, which science can observe, and the book of Revelation, which God has given to us. And what does it tell us? To put it in a nutshell, and this is my text, if you like, is the whole Bible, it's just simply this. Genesis 1.1, God created everything. He organized it intelligible so that we can observe it. Number two, God upholds everything. In him we live and move and have our being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. God works through normal means and laws. Jesus says there isn't a spiral falls to the ground that God doesn't know. Now, Jesus is not saying God goes around like some giant computer game going, right, zap, spiral, zap, spiral, zap, human being. God creates the laws and the principles and everything. It's not the God of the gaps. We don't believe because we don't know. We believe because there is order in nature. Christianity also teaches, the Bible teaches that God creates human beings as the apex of his creation. And again, I would urge you to go to the website and listen to Sinclair's sermons on this. Or come along next Sunday to get the next part. That we are to live in harmony with nature and in relationship with God. And what happens? Adam and Eve decide to go on their own. And disruption 
and chaos is brought into the world. And now the world is confusing. And now you read a book like the book of Job, where there are the effects of sin and Job's crying out, God, why? What can be done about it? And throughout the whole Old Testament, there's a promise God is going to do something. Right at the beginning in Genesis, there is a promise that the, the devil will be crushed by the seed of the woman. Who is that? What does that mean? And we come to the New Testament, and the seed of the woman is Jesus. God sends his son to be born as a human being, to live amongst us, to teach us, to show who he was by his miracles, then to die the most horrendous death, not in failure, but in glorious triumph, because he's dying to atone for our sins. Then the relationship with God is restored. Now that enhances and does not destroy our understanding. We understand as Christians that the physical world is God's world. But we also understand that there is more than just the physical world. I feel sorry for the non-Christians who go, well, it's just chemistry is all there is. That's it. Like Burton Russell and Tom's blob. You know, there's blob of carbon floating from one meaningless existence to another. If you really, really believe that, you really believe that, then I take a gun and put it to your head that is really no difference, fundamentally, than me standing on a cockroach. What's the difference? You're all just chemicals. We're just a little bit more advanced chemicals. That's all. But we know that that is nonsense. That's why in in Colossians 2, we read there about this hollow and deceptive philosophy. There are millions of people in our country who are held captive by a hollow and deceptive philosophy which enables them to look at what we are doing here, worshipping Jesus Christ and go, you people are crazy. You need to be scientific. Yeah, what does that mean? Well, you need to trust science. What does that mean? And ultimately, if you keep pushing and you keep pushing and you keep pushing, you find it leads to absolute despair. Here, though, look at the difference in Colossians. I love this. That they may know the mystery of God, verse 3, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you are into astronomy and you go up to Balgay Hill and you stare up at the stars and maybe your job was to be an astronomer, you're looking at the wonders of God in the heavens as we sang about in Psalm 19. But if you work at the Wellcome Trust Building and you look into a a microscope and you're looking at cells and and, um, I was thinking uh, Kirstine Buchanan in our congregation, she's working on a a new treatment for tuberculosis because TB is coming back and it's killing millions throughout the world. What a really, really important thing. What a really important thing to be doing that. And what are you doing as a believer? Whether you look at the stars or whether you look at microbes, you are looking at what God has created and you are fulfilling your purpose as a human being to subdue the earth. There is an enormous mistake. My granddad once said to me, and it, it, this to me illustrates how far the church went wrong. Because my granddad quoted from the King James Version of Timothy, science falsely so called. 
And he was applying that to what we understand as science today. But he was using the Greek word for science, which just means knowledge, philosophy. And Paul was saying to Timothy, not that science is bad as we understand it, but he was saying that the wrong understanding, the wrong philosophy is really bad. It takes us away from Jesus. Science doesn't take us away from Jesus. Science points us to Jesus. David Wilkerson, who's a professor of physics in Durham, was speaking at St. Andrews University. And it was absolutely packed. And at the end of the lecture, one of the students present stood up. And I'll never forget this. He said to him, are you saying, Professor Wilkerson, that science proves God? And he says, no, I am not saying that. But I'm saying this, that science points to God. And I think that's the correct way to understand it. We don't argue God exists because we can scientifically prove him. We argue that science is worthwhile because God exists. Because as human beings, we are more than just chemicals. And we know that because of Jesus. There is a kind of science faith war that's going on, particularly in the United States, but sometimes here as well. And I really, really want to discourage that. We need to encourage people, and I do want to encourage you if you're involved in science, that the work you're doing is godly work. It's good work. But I really want to discourage those of you who think that if you, you can trust science. Science is just a method. You can't trust it. It's a method that human beings use to try and understand the world, the world that God has made. There is an extraordinary beauty in Jesus Christ. When you see that, then by it you see everything else. Remember C.S. Lewis's great quote when he said, I believe in God the same way that I believe in the sun, not because I see the sun, but because by the sun I see everything else. That's how the Christian works. We have a broad and expansive view. We're not narrow-minded religious bigots who are not interested in what's going on in the world. In fact, because we have confidence in God, we are very open to investigating and looking and searching, knowing that this is God's world. And he has called us to subdue it. He has called us to understand it. He has called us to use it. James Clark Maxwell was a, a wonderful scientist. He's a very committed believer. In fact, if you, if you go, if you were back into the 19th century in Scotland, you would find that particularly amongst the evangelical churches, there was this really strong emphasis on the value and the importance of science. So I, I hope that kind of of overview, and I understand completely um, it's, that's a huge generalized overview which will probably satisfy nobody. But I, I hope that you will see that science and faith are not opposed at all. Science and faith in Christ are not opposed at all. In this church, we do want to encourage those who are involved in science. In fact, if any of you are interested, we've been asked by a Christians in Science group to set up a project here uh, to, over the next couple of years, look at that. And Solas are, are uh, 
looking at that and looking at ways that perhaps we could do it here to encourage the interaction between scientists and uh, the Christian church. And also to bring glory to God in the scientific world. It was, I've finished with this story, there was a remarkably courageous young student in the Welcome Trust building. When a lecture was announced by the hierarchy in that building on looking at the question of creation and evolution, and the subtitle is, Why Creationists Are Stupid. That wasn't exactly the most um, open of scientific uh, papers. I went to that lecture, actually. It was packed, and it was quite an extraordinary event. But this young student, she objected, and she, she took a lot of a stick, even in the local press, but I really admired her. She went to Central Baptist, and I thought what she did was wonderful. And she thought it was really bigoted and wrong to make this kind of statement. And I'll never forget one of the main professors, who is a very militant atheist, said, look, intelligent people don't believe in God and don't believe that God created. And I laughed because this professor chose the six top students to work in his lab. And what he didn't know was that two of those six had contacted me. One was a Muslim and one was a Christian. And they were so upset about this, they asked me to come into the building and do a Bible study with them and with others of their colleagues who were interested. There are a quarter of a million scientists in the United States who are Christians. Don't fall for that lie when people say, nah, if you're a scientist, you're not going to be a Christian. If you're an intelligent person, you're not going to be a Christian. I'm going to argue this. I'm just going to argue straightforward that it's perfectly compatible to be a scientist and to be a Christian. In fact, ultimately, it's the only thing that makes sense. May God grant that we would not be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy and that we would instead seek the wisdom and knowledge that ultimately can only be found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Bless it to us. Help us. Help those of us who are involved in science to be faithful to you. Help those of us who are not involved in science to be faithful to you. Help us to encourage and support one another. Lord, we pray for those who have been blinded by the philosophy of scientism, not science. We ask our God that you would cause them to see that the wonders that they see on the earth and in the stars, in the skies, are only the outer fringe of your power. And help them to look to their creator. Help them to look to the redeemer and savior, Jesus Christ, that they may truly have real knowledge. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, 
please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.